0: English has three main third-person singular pronouns. Those
1: Well, we already off to a fantastic start because uh, they is indeed not singular. are it,
0: he, and she. Grammatically, the neuter, masculine, and feminine. These can be inflected for their various forms, but these are the lemmas of the words. They are used to refer to some single person or some single thing with it, thus singular, and they are used to talk about something or someone other than the speaker themselves or the person they're speaking to, hence third person. And that's all very nice and simple and easy, and we could basically end the video here, if it wasn't for that last sentence I just said.
1: So in a language, you have something called Grice's maxims. Grice's maxims govern conversational social pragmatics. Pragmatics is the area of language that governs uh, how language is used socially. And it's how, how we derive meaning from when people violate the social rules in order to create additional messages. So then these are these are logically contingent and can be inferred. So there, there's, it, it's actually more or less the foundation of humor, is that you're violating other people's expectations, And the way that we predict other people's expectations is by uh, applying social pragmatic language to the uh, actual morphology, phonology, syntax, and semantics of what is literally said, meaning the actual surface form. Uh, we We have to interpret that conversationally. I'm someone who has a social pragmatic language deficit. I always really struggled with this, with the exception of things like metaphor and idiom. I could figure that out very easily. But things like, how close do we stand to somebody else? How often do we take our turn? How long should we talk about something? What should we talk about in a conversation? It was really hard for me. I really struggled.
0: Because here, we have another third-person pronoun, the reflexive themselves and nominative they, which is plural, right? Except it isn't, because these pronouns are being used to replace the speaker, not the speakers, a singular individual
1: so Grice's maxims therefore would be the four main rules of conversation that let you know what's actually expected when i when i encountered the concept in college it was quite a revelation it's like oh oh i get i get how people i I get how it works now so so uh one of uh the Grice's maxims would be the uh, maxim of quality and the idea is that that you're not supposed to say things that are untrue Uh, there's also the maximum of quantity where you're not supposed to say too much or too little. There's the maxim of relevance where you're not supposed to go off topic. And then there's also the maxim of manner where where you're not supposed to waste people's time. You're not you're not supposed to um, be deliberately vague, for instance. You're supposed to get to the point. Now it's 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 not sinful or or, or inherently bad to violate these quantities. Uh, these it's not it's not inherently a bad thing to violate Grice's maxims, but being aware of what Grice's maxims are allows you to violate them in a way that creates something called an implicature that you intend. Uh, if you violate them in the in wrong way, then you might create an implicature that you don't intend, and that could insult somebody, uh, that could hurt someone's feelings, and then you have to do something called cancel the implicature where you'd have to go out of your way to say something to say, I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I don't mean to imply so-and-so and so-and-so. And so. That's, that's why people do that, is they have an understanding that they have created an implicature, whether intentionally or unintentionally, and now they have to explicitly cancel it, otherwise they will send a message they didn't intend to send. This is, this is all Linguistics 101. So if you're in college, it's a good class to take. So here, here we have a situation where the rule is that they and them are plural. And so if I'm using pragmatically, they and them to refer to a singular entity that you the speaker and the listener knows that it's referring to a singular entity that creates an implicature by violating the Gricean maxim of quality because I have said something that's not true. I have referred to plural rather than singular. You can also argue it's a violation of the maximum of manner because I haven't gotten to the point uh, where, where uh, I, I've been deliberately vague. I have obscured something. And so, so it's a violation of the maximum of manner where you're supposed to be as concise and as clear as possible. And that creates the implicature. Uh, and, and there is a, a, a standard implicature created in English uh, by convention where it, it, it communicates the idea that I don't know the sex of this person. Uh, or it could be some other implicature, such as the ones that the Church of the Non-Binaries are trying to force on us, which is that they're a special magical third gender. Uh, but but uh, otherwise, you, you, it, it communicates a lack of knowledge. Whereas if I say he or she, no implicature is created. It is as brief as possible. So so it is it is something where meaning is, is emerging through the interaction of different angles of language, but that doesn't mean that they and them is inherently singular. It's, it's not. It's definitely not. This is the
0: fourth third-person singular pronoun. Grammatically, the epicene. Uh,
1: this is an interesting theory, but as somebody that speaks a language that's truly gender-neutral, i.e. Turkish, which has one pronoun, o, that's used for everything, uh, no. No, that's not how, how, how it actually works because this person's overlooking the fact that I can say who is it to refer to a singular human, even though that, that human is not neuter. That human is still either male or female. So like what they, them, if I say, who is it, I am communicating both the, the uh, literal denotation, meaning that, that I'm, I'm, I'm saying it, which is, which is not a term that we use to refer to adult humans. Um, because, because grammatically adult humans are, 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 uh, assigned a uh, sexed pronoun, which is a semantic assignment. Um, but, but, uh, um, instead I'm, I'm creating an implicature of lack of knowledge. I don't, I don't know who it is, but, but that doesn't mean that I'm that it is referring to the specific individual. It is, is referring to the event that I I don't have any clarity on. And so in order to not violate a maximum of quality and quantity by, in order to not violate the maximum of quantity by giving you information that may not be true, I am holding back and communicating to you that, that there is some event happening over there, but I don't know what sexed person it involves. So if this person wants to make this epicene argument and say that they is, is different from it, you know, you, you, you could make the same argument for it uh, would the reason that, that this person's not making the same argument for it is because it kind of breaks the argument down and reveals that we're talking about pr- pragmatic implicatures here. We're not talking about the semantic meaning of, of the term they, them, which is plural. So so uh, that, that's why he doesn't want to call attention to it.
0: Epicenity is complete gender neutrality, not just when something covers the masculine and feminine. Let me give you an example. In French, when you refer to a group of male people, you use the plural pronoun. Il. But when you refer to a group of female people, you use el. But when those groups join together, the pronoun il takes priority. And so this pronoun is used to refer to masculine and feminine people. But it's not epicene, because we have to remember where that il pronoun is from.
1: This also relates to something I've talked about before, which is that uh, one issue you have with these languages in patriarchal cultures is that it's not so much that there's a male version and a female version, it's that there is an unmarked version and a marked version. And females are marked. Females are considered a special case. Males are considered generic. So therefore, it is a violation of the maximum of quantity to communicate femaleness is present in a group uh, where, where there might be males because they don't want to communicate to the other person that, that all the entities in this group are marked unless it's relevant. And it's not relevant for in a lot of cases and therefore the default is to refer to them as a group of unmarked.
0: That is, the masculine. In that phrase about the speaker, the epicene third-person singular is used because we don't know the gender of this person.
1: It's as simple as that, but... Right. It's a communication that you don't know something. That's an extra message on top of the communication about what's over here. It's a communication about what's over here and your state of knowledge. That's that's not the same thing as saying that, that you're communicating about a true genderless entity, because we all know that it's a gendered entity. We all know it's further, if it's humans, it's a sexed entity. Those, those need to be considered separately because English is not gendered, masculine, and feminine the way that French is. It might look like it is, but he and she are actually a semantic assignment, and that's why lamps don't have a sex. We don't refer to lamps as he or she, the way that in Spanish you do. In, in Spanish, lamps are feminine, la lampada. So you, you, this person does not understand that, that social pragmatics are playing a role here. When you demand that I refer to a person whose sex I am fully aware of, as though I don't know their sex, you are asking me to lie knowingly. You're asking me to edit my own speech in order to insert a lie. I I don't want to do that. And even if I did, it is an extra step. That's an extra bit of cognitive demand. And that might be something that I can do. That might be something that you can do. It's not something a person with aphasia can do. And I'm, I'm not going to support a system that marginalizes them.
0: Where did this come from? In Old English, the word for they was he, and this was inherited into Early Middle English as he. But see, in the 13th century, a new pronoun made its way into English. The Old Norse theyr started spreading from the north of England to the south, and over time, it replaced the native word, giving us they. Perhaps because of its status as an imported feature, it wasn't long before it started being used for the epicene singular as well.
1: Knock, knock. Who is it? What is it there? Are we actually communicating that the the, the person at the door doesn't have a sex or is it the actual Episcene uh, singular, if such a thing were to exist, or as my argument is, is this a social pragmatic level of hierarchy that is communicating an additional message that is beyond the denotation of the word?
0: The first recorded use of the singular they is in a poem called William and the Werewolf, dated around 1375. And since then it's been in regular usage over the centuries in written language and, one would assume, in spoken language as
1: well. I've refuted this in past videos. The sentence in context is, each man hurried till they drew near. There's no reason to specify each man unless there's more than one man, therefore they is referring to more than one man, therefore they is plural.
0: It appears in Shakespeare, in Austen, in Shaw, all the way into the present day. See, since its beginning, the debate around the singular they was not about stopping some new crazy word from entering the English language, but rather about ejecting an existing form on the basis of it supposedly being ungrammatical.
1: Nobody's trying to eject the form from English. What we're objecting to is the fact that you are attempting to force us to refer to known individuals with this pronoun in a way that is counter to the rules of our language as our mother spoke it to us. And that is actually cognitively difficult and therefore it will stratify within a work environment according to ability status. and In addition, it will stratify according to national origin uh, because language is a proxy for that by which people get discriminated against. It's also going to stratify by age because people's cognitive capacity decreases when we reach a certain age. That's that's normal. So so what we are objecting to is, is being compelled to lie about what we know to be true. And I'm, I'm not going to pretend that an individual adult human doesn't have a sex. I'm just not going to do that.
0: In the 1700s, nearly 400 years after its introduction, certain grammarians started arguing that singular they had to go. Why? Because a singular antecedent can't take a plural pronoun. It's simple grammar. The first recorded instance of this is in Anne Fisher's A New Grammar, published in 1745. What she proposes instead is the use of the generic he. The generic he is the use of the masculine pronouns he, him, and his, where the gender of the referent is unknown. Like in the sentence, everybody should love himself. There's a big debate about whether this use was invented in the 1700s, but I personally think it's likelier that this use of he was around since Middle English, existing alongside the singular they. Remember, this he is generic, but it's not epicene.
1: And so this gets into a debate in linguistics that is called prescriptivism versus descriptivism. When you try to tell other people what the correct form of talking is, that is prescriptivism. You're prescribing them how they should talk, whereas uh, typically in linguistics, we take a descriptivist approach. We try to describe things as they are. Uh, this is also an example of DARVO, deny, accused, reverse in, uh, victim and offender. Uh, they are telling us how to correctly refer to them, which is against the rules of our language as it exists already, as it comes natural to us. So they are actually being prescriptivist when they're telling us my pronoun is they them No, it's not man. This is fairly similar
0: to the use of man as a stand-in for human, like in all men are created equal.
1: No, it's literally nothing like that at all. Uh, Man used to actually not refer to either specifically males or females. Man was the word for human. And then if you wanted to specify a male or female human, the forms were were were-man and with-man. And then later, with-man split into woman and wife, and were-man just dropped the where and man became a male human specifically, and, and the rest is history."
0: But a generic he still conjures up the image of a man when you read it. It suggests that the default human is a male one. Despite this, the generic he continued to be advocated for by grammarians in the coming centuries because singular they violated number agreement and he or she was too clunky. Even in 1985, language columnists were arguing for it with the phrase, the male embraces the female. The thing is, this usage can be dangerous. A lot of the time this he was generic, right up until it was politically expedient for it to be explicitly masculine.
1: Yeah, you know what's dangerous? Not having a definition of woman in law that's respected and rooted in sex. Because our rights as females under the constitution in the United States, are especially such as the 19th amendment, it explicitly relates to sex. So when you get rid of the idea of sex, when you get rid of the idea that women are female, then, then you get rid of protections for women on the basis of our sex, which means they can discriminate against us based on entailments of our sex, like having a womb, like menstruating, like this and that. And it's no longer sex discrimination because sex isn't real anymore. And we don't have a right to single sex spaces because men can be women. Male women exist. It, that's what's actually dangerous. That's what actually exposes women to pregnancies, which otherwise would not happen because you can't make a pregnancy without a sperm and an egg. In
0: 1881, the Detroit Free Press reported that Belva Lockwood, who was already a practicing lawyer in the District of Columbia, was denied access to the Maryland Bar because the state law used the pronouns he and him when talking about lawyers, and Lockwood was a woman. When Lockwood brought up another article of the code stating that the masculine shall be held to include all genders except where such construction would be absurd and unreasonable, the court allegedly responded it would be absurd and unreasonable to apply the pronouns he and him to a woman.
1: No, ladies, uh, they theming yourself will not protect your rights. The only thing that will protect your rights in law is a protection of your rights in law. And that requires that you be labeled in an objective fashion. And the only objective way to label somebody is based on their circumstance of being adult, female, and human all at the same time. All at the same time. In
0: 1916, so-called U.S. originalists tried to stop Jeanette Rankin from sitting in Congress using the exact same logic, the gendered pronouns in the U.S. Constitution, when talking about congressmen. So people started trying to avoid both the generic he and the ungrammatical singular they, which led to a wave of neologistic pronouns which could do the job. That's why you get word like THON, a contraction of THE ONE invented by Charles C. Converse, in 1858. That's right, the neo-pronoun THON THONSELF is older than the theory of natural selection.
1: Yeah, and look how well it's taken off. This, this isn't how language works. But none of these have really caught on.
0: Yet, And so the singular they has survived. A 1998 study of natural British English speech found that regardless of gender, class, or level of education, people overwhelmingly used the singular they over the generic he or other alternatives.
1: Right, because Grice's maxims are predictable.
0: Even when openly asked what they preferred when referring to someone of an unspecified gender, 68% of participants said that the singular they was the best choice. This form isn't infiltrating the language, it's already here.
1: I don't refer to my lamp as they if I don't know that sex because it doesn't have a sex. If it's unspecified, that's a clue! That's a clue that it has a trait that could be specified but isn't being specified.
0: If it ain't broke, don't fix it.
1: We're, we're not the ones trying to fix it! You guys are the one with pronoun badges and pronoun earrings! Come on!
0: But so far, what we've been talking about is cases where the gender of the referent is unknown, and therefore an epicene singular is employed.
1: Turks know what sex I am, when they refer to me as O. They're not communicating a lack of knowledge, because in their language, there's no way to communicate that knowledge inherent to a pronoun. This person's argument is hinging on the idea that they is the epicene in English and it is somehow not an epicene, even though it regularly refers to sexed living creatures, even though it's the inanimate gender. As I, as I demonstrated earlier, who is it? I'm referring to a sexed individual at the door. When I refer to a child as it, or an animal as it, I'm aware that that animal has a sex, I'm just not specifying it, and so I'm using the Epicene singular form, which is it, not they. If I'm using they to refer to a singular entity, I'm creating an implicature to communicate an additional message of lack of knowledge. I can also be creating that implicature with it if I'm referring to an adult human at the door.
0: What about when the gender is known, but that gender is neither masculine nor feminine? Look, non-binary people exist, whether you like it or not.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. Did we run out of rational arguments and flip back into prescriptivism mode? Mr. 18th century grammarian. So I mentioned in the beginning of this video the distinction here between semantics and grammar, otherwise known as syntax. Uh, and so, so in, in English you have two genders. We have animate and inanimate. We don't have a masculine and feminine gender that things without sex get assigned to the way that Spanish and French and, and Italian do. We just don't have it. We have some fossils from words that were taken from languages that do have it, which is why boats can be she, but but otherwise, if I'm using the word it to refer to a child, it's not because I don't know that that child has a sex, it's because they're in the inanimate gender because they're small and you can't visually determine their sex as easily, same reason as animals, um, but but uh, you, you are communicating uh, a, a gender assignment when you refer to a child as it, which then creates the implicature that they're not human. And then we often generally will will, uh, cancel that implicature because we'll we'll, we'll realize it as we say it, and then it will feel wrong. So we're actually seeing kind of that shift in real time where perhaps children will be moving out of the inanimate class. And there's also uh, some discomfort referring to animals as inanimate when we know that they're in fact uh, semantically Meaning the the true nature of them, we understand that they are actually animate creatures. They're not inanimate creatures. But that's the difference between a gender and, and a semantic assignment. So when we assign he and she, that is not a gender. That is a sex assignment. We are assigning it on the basis of sex. We're not randomly assigning people to genders. That's not how it works. So you can't just add a gender. Because semantically, there's no third sex. I know that you're a man, or I know that you're a woman. You're asking me to pretend that I don't know that there's only two sexes. You're asking me to lie! And I'm not interested in that.
0: You can give you a whole extremely logical, biological, scientific, mathematical argument in the comments section if you want to, but-
1: Thanks, I, I think I'm gonna make
0: a video- We can very easily establish that gender and sex mean different things, that different societies at different times have had wildly different gender systems, and that people are identifying as non-binary.
1: Sex is not gender, that's correct. He is assigned on the basis of sex, not gender, that's why I don't refer to lambs as he. And
0: we've got our linguistics hats on here, so we like the definitions of words, considering other cultures and talking about people's lived experiences.
1: You are prescribing me a different way of talking that you think is more correct because you believe there's this third category, and and you're just going to shove it down my throat, and we have left the realm of descriptivism and we are squarely in prescriptivism now, and that is not a linguistics thing.
0: Non-binary people exist, and it would be nice to be able to refer to them.
1: The non-binatarians can cope with he and she. Maybe
0: we should count ourselves lucky that English isn't like French or German or Arabic. Since we already have an epicene, singular, animate, third-person pronoun in everyday use, why not use it for non-binary people?
1: Because you are asking me to change how I talk to conform to your religious beliefs. I actually don't believe that non-binary people have some other third sex, and I'm not going to pretend otherwise to make them feel like I'm part of their church when I'm not. If you guys want to refer to yourselves this way, go right ahead. But when you try to shove it down my throat and make they denote lacking a sex, make they denote being in the non-binary church, you are forcing me to acknowledge your religion every time I want to refer to you, and that makes it makes requires me to participate in your religion. It requires me to learn about it and it requires me to know the rules of it and, and, and to, to to act like I believe in it. I don't,
0: I don't. People do say that it gets confusing and I can sympathize with this.
1: Yeah, the whole idea that you're already using it for this and therefore it's not hard, but also he understands that it confuses you to, to make this change. It's a gaslight!
0: But come on, we all use singular you, don't we? You can mean a singular person you're talking to, several people you're talking to, or, well, people in general. In most
1: if you denotes multiple people,
0: where did y'all come from? Why, why did we derive that form? most Indo-European languages, we can include or exclude the listener. In German, sie can mean she, they, it when referring to a feminine noun, and the formal you, both plural and singular.
1: He's saying that because other languages are different, it's okay to prescribe us this change. It's it's not.
0: In French, for the vast majority of verbs, unless they happen to start with a vowel, you can't tell the difference between the singular and plural third person. Est-ce que je peux le français? And everyone gets on fine with this, because they're used to it. The sooner you get used to calling people they, the sooner it will cease to be confusing.
1: So is this the way that we already talk or not? I thought i have been speaking like this for 700 years, and, and suddenly it's something I need to practice to, to get used to. I don't, I don't actually have any obligation to learn another language, just to please you, unless that's actually a core job requirement. Are, are you paying me to learn this other language, or is this a tax on, on the, the people uh, living under the, the uh, trans-dimitude?
0: And if you really hate it, find it too bewildering or too grammatically incorrect, then you can go for the alternative. The Charles C. Converse method. Use neopronouns.
1: Why would that be easier?
0: Because after all, what could be more grammatically incorrect than using a gendered pronoun for someone which doesn't match their gender?
1: How about I use the Broca's area programming that was given to me by my mother? It might have been damaged, for all you know, and therefore less resilient, less plastic less capable of of just practicing and changing to to suit you you know this this is going to pave the way for employers to discriminate against older people so i I have no idea what that person's qualifications were but if you're curious about my qualifications i have a bachelor's degree in linguistics uh, from the uh, university of california berkeley i also have a bachelor's it's a double major in gender and women's studies also from uc berkeley I'm also a speech language pathologist with a master's in education uh, that says parentheses speech language pathology is kind of unusual that it did it that way and i think i was the last year that they did it that way but but it's a speech pathology degree i have a license to practice speech pathology and i have been treating people with language disorders and pragmatics disorders and speech disorders for the last seven years going on eight years so i actually know a little bit about this topic and i don't like naked propaganda as you can tell, I, I, I found this video more annoying than pretty much anything I'd responded to with the exception of perhaps Jon Stewart. Uh, if, if, you wanna, if you wanna support me, <laughs> please do. Um, you can, you can uh, get a channel membership at Odyssey. Uh, it's $5 a month, which I know is a, is a bit steep, uh, but that will get you early access to new content. Uh, you can also support me by getting a Substack membership for the same cost. And Otherwise, I hope you guys have a great night. Uh, I will be uh, live streaming uh, tomorrow uh, with uh, Amy Souza uh, from the Kelly Jaquina event in San Francisco. Uh, we're also going to stop by Scott Wiener event uh, and, and attempt to carve some messages on pumpkins and, and you know, stir it up that way. So uh, I hope to see uh, all of them there. And uh, thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate uh, everybody's support.